Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we have Chris Bogiano, who is my guest today. And welcome, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me. We are actually going to talk to Chris a little bit about himself and about his new product. It's called The Starling. And I learned about this product a few months ago and recently had a phone conversation with Chris about this. And I am fascinated by this and so excited. So I asked him to be a guest on our podcast so we could inform other people about this. So Chris, why don't you start us off a little bit? Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and then The Starling? And then I've got some questions about how how this came to be, and then we'll talk even more about the Starling. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the Starling? Sure. I'm one of the creators of the Starling, and we have a team of about a dozen folks split between North Carolina and California. I myself am originally from Jersey City, New Jersey. I got an undergraduate degree at West Point, and I served in the U.S. Army. And then I went on after my time in the Army. I started a company focused on adult education, sold that company in 2012, and went on to a fellows program at Stanford University, again, looking to start another education business and looking to solve some of the education challenges that parents experience. And and that's how I eventually came to create the Starling. Specifically, what that is, is it's a wearable device. It's kind of like a Fitbit, except instead of counting steps, it counts words. And it would be worn by a young child, any child under the age of four, so birth to age four. And the intent is to, just like a Fitbit encourages you to take more steps, the intent of the Starling is to encourage parents to talk more to their children. Right. And see, that's where the speech therapist in me came in. And so I'm fascinated by this and think it's just the greatest idea. And I can think of so many therapeutic applications for this, which we will get into. But even since our conversation, Chris, before this podcast, I have really been thinking about ways to use this device. And I'm excited to share some of my thoughts with you. (laughs) Awesome. So you told us all a little bit about what you did prior to this. But I'm curious, so how did the adult education company that you had, how did that sort of prep you, I guess, and get you, because the Starling would be born by kids who were birthed to four. So how did you make that jump? Yeah, it's quite a uh, quite a transition. My last company was everblue.edu. And when I left the Army, I wanted to start a business that was mm-hmm. focused on sustainability and energy and ended up having a training organization that we grew to be quite large that focused on things like how to teach people how to do energy audits and install solar panels and a whole host of other uh, renewable energy and energy efficiency-related topics. And in that business, we taught a number of white-collar workers, architects, engineers, uh, policymakers, folks like White House staff and Fortune 500 executives and you know super important people. And then we also taught a large number of working-class blue-collar folks. They were either unemployed or they were working in a trade union And some of the folks that we were teaching that were unemployed, they didn't have basic education skills. And you you take a 45-year-old who's, you know, unemployed and trying to find a new job, and it was really difficult to teach them anything Mm -hmm. if they didn't have basic math and literacy skills. And so that always bothered me. It was always disheartening how frustrating it was to try to Mm -hmm. uh, impact a person's life positively. And so after selling the business, when I had an opportunity to go to graduate school at Stanford, my brother, who's also my partner in both the last company and this one, we decided to say, how can we help fix this? And we originally started looking at adults, and you spend some time there, and 
it doesn't take long before you say, oh, well, if right. only we'd gotten to them earlier in life. If only we had helped these folks in high school. And you go to high school and you spend some time looking there and you say, oh, if only there's all these problems in high school. If only we'd worked with these folks in elementary school. And then you go to elementary school and you keep tracing things back and back. And eventually we came across the three decades or so of research about the importance of talking to children and the impact of early language exposure on a child's brain development because so much brain development is front-loaded in a person's life. So for the same reason that it's really hard to impact the trajectory of a 45-year-old because their brain is relatively developed at that point in a person's life, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, has some heft to it. For the same reason that's challenging, it's really relatively easy to impact a child's life, especially during the first few years. That's what drew us to this particular opportunity. That's awesome. You kind of touched on a lot of the reasons why I work with kids and what we're passionate about here at PDT and working with kids. And then I feel like every child we work with, they're just full of potential and full of opportunity. And really, you know, our job here is just to sort of help with certain areas where there may be some weaknesses so they can just really do whatever they want to do in this life. And I noticed on a lot of your material online and stuff, it says helping children reach their full potential. And that really spoke to me. And your message is there as well when you were just talking about how to help people really reach their full potential. And so getting kids at the beginning and really working with them early on is what here at PDT we're so passionate about. And I think that's why I'm also interested in this Starling device because it really just matches what we do as an organization here. That's awesome. I can say that as a parent of two little girls, one is four and one is my younger daughter is one years old. And, you know, I've been at this for a couple of years. I live it firsthand. I call them my little lab rats, but I experienced firsthand the challenges just of being a parent. So (laughs) when my first daughter was born, I didn't know, like most parents, I remember being amazed that coming home from the (laughs) hospital, I was like, I can't believe anybody let me take her home. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And and I think, you know, millions of parents experience that every year. You know, I've got a lot of advantage, I guess, in in terms of education opportunities I've had. So I've, I've got a lot going for me and my kids do as a result, but it was still an enormous challenge just to figure out what's right. And it's stressful. So you can drive yourself nuts as a parent about what you're supposed to do or what you should do to help your child reach their potential. And so I find this to be a huge anxiety relief in my life. The idea that I can simply spend time with my kids, talking to them about whatever, and uh, it'll be all right. Like they're going to do just fine in life. Uh, That is, I'm a better parent because of it. and, And I love to practice it every day with them. I see so many parents who come to me and this their first child. I have four kids, but I call my oldest one my guinea pig kid because I tell him all the time, like, you know what, well, I really don't know what I'm doing with you, son. You know, we're hoping it's going to turn out all right. Kid number four, his chances are a lot better. But, you know, I say that all the time to my oldest. But I see lots of parents who are coming to me and it's their first child. One thing that really appeals to me with the Starling is it gives you tangible information where you're like, okay, yes. I am doing something right with this child. This is the right thing to do. It just is nice. It gives you that sort of tangible feedback that I think a lot of our parents just gives them confidence that, hey, I am doing the right thing. This is the right thing to do. And yes, okay, I I did a good job today. So I like that about it too. So as you're starting this company with Starling, did anyone ever tell you no? Like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a fair amount of skepticism. Sometimes folks will say, Mm -hmm. oh, this is only for low-income kids. The kids who need this the most, their parents wouldn't be able to afford it. And the parents who can afford this are the ones who don't need it. Some variant of that. And my answer to that is twofold. One, we're working with some pretty big foundations to get devices into the hands of low-income families. And that's a challenge in and of itself. But I would also say that the advent of the smartphone is a big unknown from a research standpoint, but I would guess all arrows point to the direction of it being a negative in terms of parent-child interaction. I experience nearly every day the pull of my smartphone away from my children 
And I would wonder society-wide, what's the impact in middle and upper income families on the way that parents are pulled into their smartphones and how much less they interact with their children on a day-to-day basis than even a half generation ago wasn't the case. So uh, what obstacles have you run into with this product? The analogy that I use is that we're developing a Fitbit in a world where nobody knows that fitness matters. So it's pretty widely accepted that, you know, being fit and walking and things like that are good for you and people can appreciate whether or not they do it. Nobody questions that. Because of the disconnect between how much you talk to a child now and the the return on that, whether they're doing well in kindergarten or whether it's that they go to college or, you know, whatever it is they do years and years later, there's such a large disconnect that if it weren't for research and folks who just tracked kids and lots of kids over years and years and years, we would never know. Intuitively, you wouldn't necessarily connect the impact of talk Hmm. and a child's outcomes in life. Uh, And so societally, I could walk around Stanford University, I could find 10 parents with really young kids, and I could talk to 10 of them, and I would be willing to bet that at least nine out of the 10, if not all 10, had no idea that talking to their child was amazingly beneficial to their child's brain development. And so it's like I live in a world where nobody knows what impact they can have. And so the Starling as a solution or as a tool that can help parents Uh, be better parents or set their children up for success in life, that's a secondary issue that I face every day relative to the general awareness of how much parent-child engagement matters overall. So it doesn't really matter what your background is or what your socioeconomic status is. I mean, if you're on your phone, like which is what you're talking about, then that pulls you away from your child just as much as if you're just not present. You know, my kids watch TV, or my four-year-old does, my one-year-old, not really. But, uh, you know, we let her watch a little bit of TV. I'm not an extremist on, you know, I think all things in moderation. The reason why TV to an extreme is a detriment is because it crowds out parent-child engagement. And I think that most people can intuitively understand, you know, why that makes sense. So there are families in the United States and around the world that I'll interact with who proudly tell me how their kids aren't allowed to watch TV. And I think that's commendable and that's a parenting decision. But some of those same parents are completely comfortable with staring at their smartphone Mm -hmm. screen. And I'm not being judgmental, but it's the same problem from the other side. Instead of the child being pulled into a television, the parent being pulled into a screen. But either way, you're reducing parent-child engagement and the impact that that has I would guess it's similar. It's not that a TV in and of itself is harmful or anything like that. It's that if you reduce human interaction, there's consequences to that. And so there are parents that they are loving parents who care about their kids and they just don't know because the cause effect is so disassociated. Exactly. So I'm sure you've beta tested this product. When you did, what did you find? The first thing is the the groups of parents who are most attuned to this are, in my experience, there's a couple of buckets, but parents who intend to raise their children to be bilingual because they're very conscious of the impact of language and language exposure on their child's language skills. And then the other side, unfortunately, is we see a lot of parents who have a two- or a three-year-old with a speech delay, and then that delay has been diagnosed, and then they become conscious of the impact of language. And either for that child or for follow-on children, they're far more attuned to the impact of language because then it's a problem that they need to solve. So those are some of the folks that I most frequently interact with. And then there are parents who are early adopters, and you know, once they hear about all of this, they're highly excited. Mm-hmm. It's probably the third group. But I think that the experience across many households is that really well-educated parents aren't aware of how often mm. they are completely silent around their children. It's super easy to fall into a routine where unless a child is misbehaving, parents just have a thousand things going on in any given day. And you can just go through that routine of giving a child a bath or changing a diaper or prepping a meal or whatever it might be without actually saying a word to a child, except for when the child does something that is either unsafe or some type of misbehavior. So the only interaction a child has over long stretches of time 
is some type of corrective speech from a parent. So there's an emotional impact as well when that's all a child hears, you know, time and time again. So a lot of those beta testers who are, again, highly conscious of the impact of language, one of the first things they'll say to us is, I became aware of how silent I really was, and I had no idea how often I wasn't really talking to my child or I thought I was talking way more than I was. And then there's some stress in that, just like working out, you go through a period of growth and stress, but I would characterize it as a healthy stress where they, they reorient their routines mm-hmm. and they reorient their behavior around their children. And on the other side of it, we hear things like, we're a stronger family because of this. I have a better relationship with my son or I have a better relationship with my daughter. My husband and I are closer to one another because of this, because we're a stronger family and we're more focused on interacting with one another, let alone the the longer term benefits of what it'll do for a child's academic success and success in life. But from an emotional and family strength standpoint, it's pretty impressive. That's probably the most immediate term thing we've had folks observe to us. That's awesome. You know, in the speech therapy world, we sort of are drilled at that at school. I mean, we discuss the importance of early intervention and for OTs and PTs as well. We drunk the Kool-Aid. You know, we, <laughs> from a therapist's perspective, sometimes you forget just the broader population that maybe not everybody realizes how important it is to talk to your child and also sometimes how you don't realize how much you're not talking. Absolutely. It's easy to overestimate how much you're talking. I somewhat jokingly say that, you know, all of us parents, we all like to think we're in the top 10%, uh-huh. but not everybody can fit there, right. uh, self-included. You know, yeah, it's a, exactly. You know, we don't see what goes on in other families. We don't, you know, even our own behavior, you know, our brain just plays funny tricks on us. But actually having something that gives you that feedback can, in a healthy way, and make you aware to change that behavior. So, sure. uh, you know, I'm happy to be involved in something like this. So tell me, what was your aha moment with this darling enterprise you got going on? I think like most Americans, when I first started out saying, how can I improve education outcomes for adults, I quickly gravitated towards the K through 12, the kindergarten through 12th grade school system and spent quite a bit of time there. And when there was a point where I was running after school programs for first grade children, in Palo Alto School District in East Palo Alto, which is a well-off and then a low-income, two low-income areas. Hmm. And we had just artificially bounded ourselves. That, you know, if you want to fix education, you start with the school system. And uh, I actually read an article in The Economist magazine about the impact of language and all of the impact that early language exposure and the research, what it shows about its impact on child brain development, school performance, and all of these other wonderful things. And that was when the light bulb flicked and I said, I'm missing the boat. This is why you know, 50 years of education reform largely hasn't worked. Our school system starts when 90% of a child's brain growth is already complete. Yep. And so that it's already too late in a child's life at the age of five. If there's already a big deficit, it's so much harder to repair that deficit or close the gap at that point. Or if you take the idea of education from birth, which is not culturally something Americans do or most Americans do, but if you take the idea of education from birth and learning from birth, and you pair it with the idea that, you know, talking more to children is the thing that shown parents can do to improve their outcomes in life. It all happened very quickly. But it was the culmination of probably 18 months of looking under every rock to figure out what we can do. It's been about 18 months since then, and we've been working on it ever since. Yeah, that is the thing. Because when you're talking to the child, then all the other rich interaction stuff happens, and the facial expressions, and the cause and effects play, and the social and pragmatic builds between that child and the parent, and and then the motor development, and I can go on forever, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, there's things that some people say as well, you know, it's just not quantity. What about quality? Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that quantity and quality, just like you were saying, it's all highly correlated. So if I talk more to a child, 
I'm going to be saying a more diverse set of words to the child. I'm also going to have physical contact with the child. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hug the child and love the child and get the child to laugh. And it's going to be generally more positive. Mm -hmm. If you tell me to talk more to a child, I'm not going to yell at the child to increase my verbal engagement. <laughs> so all these words are just the metric, just like steps are just a metric for fitness. Right. But, you know, a, a nice walk in the woods has a whole lot of other benefits than one foot in front of the other. And the same thing with one word after another with a parent. Well, that's what I was going to ask too. So if you're singing or if you're talking, does it count that the same? or different? Yes. I mean, from a simplistic standpoint, it would count like a word in a song would count as a word spoken. I don't think research has differentiated the benefits of a word from singing versus a word from talking. Mm -hmm. But with the way we've designed it is to count the words that matter. So, you know, talking to a child in parentese or motherese, right. we try to count that kind of stuff. And we try to discard things that have been shown not to count, which would be, you know, background talk that a child isn't paying attention to mm. or TV talk things like that that are not shown to have any impact on a child's development. So I was going to ask, does the Starling count the TV time as well? Yes. So, you know, just like a Fitbit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I sat here and banged a Fitbit on a desk, yeah. it, would, it would count as steps. If you had intent, you can certainly trick it. I don't think that's the intent. We've designed it so that the algorithm on the Starling should, and it'll just get better and better over time, but it should filter out TV. But that's not to say it couldn't be tricked, depending on, you know, what the circumstances are with the child. But by and large, if a parent actively wanted to fool it, I'm certain they could figure out a way. But sure. I don't think... People don't do that with a Fitbit. Why would you do that with something like this? You wouldn't continue to engage with a system like this if you didn't have the intent to change your own behavior, which is really all it is at the end of the day. It's meant to positively impact a parent-child or caregiver-child behavior. Were some of your testers like different teachers or was it most just like with a parent and a child interaction? Most of the testing we have done has been with parents, some type of, you know, immediate caregiver-child okay. interaction on the day-to-day, -day, whether it be a stay-at-home mom or mom and dad that are both working parents or mom and dad with nanny or grandma or some individual caregiver. We have several pilots lined up with daycare providers and Head Start preschools to test with a larger, more complex setting. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of software development. So the hardware is perfectly capable of handling it. You know, if you want to know what the Starling is doing, close your eyes and imagine you're listening to a language, you're listening to someone talk in you know, French, mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily understand or pick a language you don't know. And you're, you're listening, you can, you can probably tell what is one word and what is another word and what is another word, and you can count what those words are. Mm. Now if I throw you into a classroom and you're blindfolded and, you know, and now I'm trying to say which student is a teacher talking to, it is certainly possible to teach a computer to do that. It's just a little bit more complicated. Uh, mm. The benefit of having 25 children in a classroom is, you know, let's just say it was 10 or 15 or 25 kids, is you'd also have uh, 10 or 15 or 25 microphones. So what you can do is a whole lot more powerful than what you can do with just one device from a computer standpoint. But at the same time, there's a lot of algorithm development that needs to be fine-tuned in order to make accuracy as reliable as it should be. So the way the Starling works, then one person wears the microphone and the child wears the other part of the device. So basically, if I had the microphone on, it would be recording my words, and then the child would have a device on them as well. Actually, no. The child is the only one that wears anything. The child has a device clipped to them. Mm. And just one important caveat is that it listens and counts, right. but there's no recording whatsoever that happens. Nothing is maintained. It literally counts, and as soon as the word is said, it's gone, and there's nothing ever maintained anywhere on a computer. Gotcha. And that's for privacy reasons, the parent-child relationship should be as private as just about anything in life. Sure, that makes sense. I did have questions about if it recorded, but so I misunderstood that. I'm glad you cleared that up for us all.
that was one of the things early on. I, you know, just it didn't take long to come across that issue, and we decided to err on the extreme side of privacy sure. for as a safeguard. Yeah. So then, in a daycare room, for example, where there may be two teachers and ten babies or whatever toddlers, that kind of thing, then really it's going to only not record, but it's only going to pick up on the teacher when they're closest to the child or within a certain number of feet. Or how does that work? Exactly. Yeah. yeah so distance is one of the things. You know, if I'm in a household, mm-hmm. odds are when I'm closer to a child, I'm more looking to that child. Right. And so distance is one of the characteristics that we use. So if I'm a teacher, if it was a traditional classroom setting, which, you know, daycares are not necessarily this arrangement, but it's just more complicated. Mm-hmm. But if I was a teacher standing in front of a group of students, you can quickly see how it's a very different scenario than, you know, mom or dad at home with a child. Yes. It is an unsolvable problem. It's just different and in some ways more complex, in some ways easier. But there's just some algorithm development that, you know, I think in the next few months we'll get to it. But right now I would be cautious to, if you ask me to turn one on today in a daycare, I just don't know how well it would perform relative to what it's been fine-tuned for is in the, the more of the household setting. But it's something we'll get to in the months ahead, potentially by the time we actually release the Starlink. Yeah, I'm excited that you said that just because I work in and out of several different developmental day centers, daycares, home daycares, public daycares. I see kids and you name it, we see them there. So I have sort of a rubric that I've come up with internally what I decided like a, this is a good classroom versus a this language could be a little bit better. Or the, uh, we need some language enrichment in this classroom you know, for myself. So that's exciting that you guys are looking into that because it would just sort of put some numbers on maybe my opinion. I would suspect, this is just my own take, <laughs> that if you put me in front of a class, that I would probably talk a lot more unconsciously. Mm-hmm. I would probably talk a lot more to some kids and a lot less to others, is my guess. Like, we have these all weird unconscious biases. And, <laughs> and you know, it's one of those things that until you get out there and actually have something, just like parents, in a, you know, they interact with a child, they might overestimate how much they actually talk to their child. I would suspect that teachers might have that same, or they, and some they might be aware of, you know, but, but others, you know, there's probably plenty of unconscious stuff out there as well. It's kind of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Even in twins, it would be interesting to look at that. Like if you maybe in siblings or even close in age, you know, you've got one sibling that may be, I say this with love, more high maintenance than the other child. You know, some kids are just sort of laid back and then other kids tend to be more demanding, you know, some kids are. So it would be interesting how. I don't know. That's just, I guess, somebody's doctorate or somebody can do a study on that. I don't know. I've noticed in my house, so I have a four-year-old who's very verbal, Mm -hmm. and she was three when our second daughter was born. And just as a parent, and at that point, I was conscious of all this. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to a newborn, I say that it's like talking to a houseplant because you feel like a crazy person and nobody's talking back. (laughs) And just to maintain a one-way conversation like that. can be challenging at times. Yeah. And that's one of the things we've encouraged activities and all these things to lower that barrier for parents. To my point, it's that with my three-year-old, she could just walk up to me and have a conversation. And so right. I felt that when my younger daughter was first born, that my attention was always pulled towards my older daughter, not because she was misbehaving, but just because she would come up and start talking to me. And at that point, all of my attention was directed as nearly effortless relative to the amount of effort talking to my younger girl. So it's just, and I don't know, I and mean, I've never even had the opportunity to measure that in any substantiated way yet. But I would suspect that at that point, my older daughter was getting more language exposure than my younger. And there's all sorts of research on birth order and, you know, the impact. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would not be surprised, especially based on the gap in age and, you know, all these other characteristics that can affect it. Well, certainly, yeah, because three-year-olds tend to be very interactive. And as a parent, you get a lot of feedback. I mean, you get a lot of 
positive interaction mostly with a lot of three-year-olds and then versus a four-month-old and three-month-old babies are fantastic, but you're not going to get a lot back, you know? And so, um, exactly. and so I think you spoke to that even earlier in this. Does it give you feedback? Does it give you about times of the day? Maybe just track when you're talking more versus less? Yeah. So one of the things is basically a simple chart that says words graphed over the time of the day. And you can see these kind of peaks and valleys. Mm. Uh, so children tend to hear a lot in the morning. Mm-hmm. It drops off in the midday around nap time, mm. but also because kids get tired. And then it tends to pick up at dinner time, typically because someone comes home from work and sure. you know, and then it goes on through bedtime. And then you might see a spike at bedtimes for stories and then obviously back to sleep. So that would be like generalized all children, like a whole lot in the morning, a whole lot in the evening. It can vary quite a lot. We've had a lot of interest from folks who work with autistic children. Mm-hmm. And I saw one study where they actually recorded, in that case, again, we don't record, but they recorded a full day of an autistic child's verbal interaction. And he had one hour of speech therapy. Wow. And the child heard more words during the one hour of therapy than he did the rest of the day combined. Wow. You know, parents can fall into a negative cycle. Sure. And again, this has happened to me where my children are, are normally developing children, but um, in, in any household, you can fall into a, a trap where you only step in when something is wrong, and then that interaction tends to be negative, mm-hmm. uh, and you create this negative cycle. Well, with an autistic kid or some other type of developmental challenge for a parent, the problem could be that because it's harder to interact with the child, the parent talks less, right. and because the parent talks less, the child becomes less verbal, right. which makes it harder for the parent to interact, and it becomes this spiral of you know, and then you end up with a child who have all of the complications that come along with that. Certainly. And I wonder even, uh, this is sort of minor, um, but sometimes we actually see kids who have a lot of sleep difficulties. And a lot of times they have trouble calming down and sleeping at night. And so then what happens is sometimes the whole household sleep and wake schedule is all out of whack, for lack of a better term. And so I wonder if it was a way to track, because I've always said with parents, you know, at nighttime, let's just shut it down. No talking, very little interaction. We got to get this child to learn how at night is night, you sleep and day is daytime and you're up. And so I wonder if you even track it. Can you sleep in this device? Do you recommend that? We've designed it with the expectation that a parent would take it off. If Mm -hmm. you could imagine we have a little docking station, and right. the docking station might be next to a diaper changing table. Right. It would come off every time a child went to sleep. Okay. But we've talked about, and this is, you know, when you start to talk about analyzing a child's audio environment, right. you can quickly come up with a list of 100 things we would love to get to. Just as a, you know, resource-constrained startup, we have what we can get to sooner versus later. Yeah. But one of the things that would be cool to get to is you could have a microphone analyzing the child's sleep environment. And you could say, you know, is there something waking a child up in the middle of the night? Or are there certain things right. or certain patterns that a parent might not recognize that might be causing the child to have sleep problems that once a computer is looking at it, you know, might say, hey, did you realize that, you know, like one of the things it's taken me forever to realize, for instance, is my neighbor gets up early in the morning and slams his car door across the street. And my daughters can normally sleep through a bomb going off. But for whatever reason, the sound that my neighbor's car door closing wakes them up at five o'clock. Rise and shine. And it took me forever to realize that. But if you had a computer just sitting there and you could say, hey, there's a spike in sound and then your child wakes up you know, your baby cries, you can start to associate cause and effect in a way that, you know, a parent might not otherwise be able to do. Right. That's a great example. Yes. Like little triggers that... Exactly. mm -hmm. And I suspect that every family has triggers and Mm -hmm. we just, you know, sometimes you just say, oh, that's just the way things are. And you never associate one thing and another, or you fight through it for weeks or months or years. And then you finally realize this is the thing. And once you remove that problem, like the, you know, all this pain point in your life goes away, but you know, there's a whole lot of agony in the process of, you know, getting to that solution. 
Right. See, that's why I think this excites me so much because there's so many options and possibilities and ways to use the information and that kind of thing. You talked about, you know, as you're starting up this and you've already run another business and had another company and sold it and that kind of thing. So what inspires you to keep going with where you are now? Because you're still kind of at the beginning stages of this. Absolutely. Yeah, we're at the starting line for sure. I think one of the values that my parents didn't necessarily uh, you know, write this down anywhere, but it was pretty clear in their own behavior was service. Um, so my father was in the Marine Corps. My mother's actually a speech therapist, mm. uh, worked the Jersey City Public School System, uh, which is a, you know, an inner city school system. You know, so my upbringing was like heavily influenced by the idea of service. So that's why I went to West Point. That's why I served in the military. And that's why my first business was, uh, I call it a mission-oriented business. And so for me, that's the only life that I want to live is one where I'm helping make the world a better place. And I see this as an opportunity to do that. That's what excites me. You know, the possibility to impact a large number of children's lives for the better. It's so motivating to me that it makes me stomach through all the headaches associated with being in a startup. Yes. How can I help you? That's kind of the question you're answering. How can I help you? I mean, you're answering that question for lots of families and that, you know, how can I help the interaction, the development, the educational development, the social development, just, you know, you're making it better. You're putting a quantitative or a tangible way to assess, you know, hey, look, how can I help you? How can I help my child develop and grow and reach their full potential? Yeah. Yes. If I could put it another way, and this ties in with the sleep stuff, there's, you know, the age old debate about nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's obviously a combination of both is what determines who we are. But I think my way of looking at things is that parents have a lot more control on the outcome of their child's life than they give themselves credit for. And it's largely because of the, again, you, you talk to a child today and the, you know, the child being a happy, smart adult, you know, the disconnect or even, you know, in, in kindergarten, being a happy, smart kindergarten child, the disconnect is so large that parents can't see the impact that nurture has. And so, you know, I see the Starling as an opportunity to close that feedback loop to make it much, much sooner. You talk now and you get feedback right now that you were heard. Right. And 30 years of research that says that, you know, talk more to a child and that's wonderful for that child. And so we're going to do everything we can to promote more of that behavior. I currently also run a business, Chris, and you as well. So do you have any fear associated with this? And if so, like, what, what do you do to sort of get past that and overcome the fear related to this business as you're moving forward with this company? Sure. You know, one of the things I always tell myself is that, you know, let's just say I'm wrong. Let's say <laughs> that, you know, like all of this is just a big waste of time. And I obviously don't believe that to be the case. Right. And research would say that that's not the case. But let's just say that, you know, that was. And I said, what's the worst that I've done? I've gotten parents to talk more to their kids. You know, I can live with myself with that. But for a more realistic thing that I struggle with every day is something that I mentioned earlier is just the general awareness about the importance of language. The vast majority of parents have zero awareness of the impact of engagement. They might intuitively, you know, since I want to be a good parent, I should spend time with my kids, that sort of way, but certainly not of the impact of talk and verbal engagement with their children. And so that is the biggest struggle we have is working to increase that awareness and spread the word. So we do everything we can to get out there and talk to parents face-to-face as much as possible and, you know, do things like this in every other which way to shout it from the rooftops to, uh, Mm -hmm. to, you know, let parents know that, you know, this is something they can do that is great for their child, can make them less stressed as a parent and, you know, set their child up for success in life. Exactly. And I mean, there isn't a downside that I'm seeing. Like, just like what you said, I mean, you know, the interaction that you've got with your child and that's life-changing for the child and the parents. And that's what this is about. So Chris, like currently right now, where you are with the Starling, what is your recommended use for this device? You know, from an age range standpoint, I think that a child, anywhere from the time a child is a newborn all the way through 
you know, age four is mm-hmm. an acceptable window for when the starling could be used. Right. I think right. that if a parent did use the starling for the first few years of a child's life, I suspect that they would have less of a need to use it by the time a child was three or four years old because the child would be highly verbal and would solicit the parent's engagement at that point mm-hmm. rather than the parent having to stomach through like talking to a newborn can sometimes feel like. And then from a timeline standpoint, so we're in manufacturing now, which is going to be another several months. We had just opened it up to be available for pre-order at a pretty hefty discount. But the Starling will be available April 2016 for order. And in that remaining time, we're continuing to testing and algorithm development to make it a better and better experience for the parents that we ultimately deliver to. And we'll continue to do it after the fact. So things like the daycare and preschool issue that I had raised before, mm-hmm. a lot of that might very well be addressed by the springtime and if not soon after. So it's all works in progress. And then beyond that, We've got a whole host of other features like how much is the child talking versus how much is the parent talking or how much is mom talking versus dad or how much of English versus Spanish versus Chinese versus whatever language is the child hearing. How much TV is the child hearing? There are, again, an endless list of Mm -hmm. things that we think we can do just with more time to work on it. But for now, we've been kind of hyper-focused on the word count just for simplicity's sake. Yes. I've got all of those things you just finished saying, questions I have, and I can't wait for you guys to let us know. Because <laughs> of yeah, awesome. all that, especially about the daycare classrooms, and then also a child talking versus an adult talking, but just to see how that interaction with maybe, for example, a child with special needs in a daycare classroom, you know, like... I think it's such a great idea to have a child with special needs in a daycare room, for example, with children who are typical developing, because I think they get so much from those typical developing kids. But it'd be interesting to see, you know, if the Starling could pick up on a child's voice versus adult and the impact that is making, because I believe it makes an impact. You know, once you get to the idea of, you know, monitoring a child's audio environment, uh, a whole world of possibilities opens up about, you know, what you might be able to detect to the child's benefit. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so right now they're available... April 2016, but you're doing pre-orders now. So how would somebody go and where would they go? If you went to our website, which is VersaMe, is the is our company name, and it really just means talk to me. Mm-hmm. So VersaMe.com slash crowdfunding, you can order a Starling today. Or just go on VersaMe.com, and there'll be a, a button that you could click that would direct you to where you could pre-order one. They're about 50% off right now, understanding that folks are ordering before it's actually available. Yeah, I noticed that. And you mentioned the discount. I'd already seen that discount. It's a pretty big discount. So right now, how much do they cost? There's probably a handful left. The first few we had available at 129 and then we'll have more, again, for the next five days available at 149 mm-hmm. And then in the springtime, there'll be $249. And we hope to get that price down, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just like any new technology. It tends to be expensive at first. And once we get better at it, we'll be able to make them cheaper. But then you also said this device can be used for a child zero to age four, but you could use it if you had more children and say that, you know, you had a child that was three and talking tons, and then you had a, a new baby, then you could continue to use the device for the new baby. Right? Sure. So we've tried to future-proof a device as much as possible so that we can do updates to the algorithm. Right. It's a soft change, kind of like your iPhone mm-hmm. can update an app or your Android phone can update an app without having to buy a new phone. Same kind of a concept to this. So we've designed it to be as long-lasting as possible so parents could use it for one child after another or hand it down to somebody else after they've used it. And I just love y'all's mission, the why you're doing it and the whole service aspect of this. And then the fact that really, what could be wrong about talking to your child? <laughs> if only everybody had the awareness that speech pathologists have, we'd be in a much better place. I knew there was a speech therapist somewhere going on with you and in inspiration somewhere. And you said your mom is a speech therapist. 
My mom is, and actually my sister is sister now, too. Sister, too, yes. My younger, my younger sister. So she, my sister works inner city school, uh, inner city hospital, uh-huh. uh, principally with Medicaid patients. Uh-huh. And my mother works in the Jersey City public school system. See, there you go. That influence was somewhere we had to be. You didn't mention yeah. them in the beginning. <laughs> they were the ones who, they beat me up a long time ago. It took me forever. They were the ones beat me up saying, oh, you need to talk to a speech therapist. You should go to ASHA. I, I, you know. And finally, I got around to listening to them. So here we are. There you go. We just had to dig deeper before we found that influence. There you go. I love it. So you can pre-order now and you go to theversame.com. That's your website. And that'll link you to the Indigo website where you can buy or pre-order the device. Is that right? Yes. Okay. If somebody just goes to versame.com, mm-hmm. it'll have the link to where they can go and pre-order. Okay. So, and then for us, if you missed that, you can always go to the workingtherapist.com where you heard this podcast. And all of this information here will be in the show notes. You can download all of that and it'll be there. And then also information on our website at www.pediatricdt.com. Lots of resources for you. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This has been great. I love this device. I love this idea. There's so many possibilities and options. I cannot wait. So I do have one last question though. How does the parent know? Do they get a report at the end of the day? What happens? How do they know how much they talk to the child? I should have addressed this earlier. So on the device itself, we intentionally kept it as simple as possible Mm -hmm. just to not add any additional anxiety to a parent's life. There's basically a simple light. They can press a button and the light will be orange if they haven't hit their goal for the day and green if they have. And the goal might vary from day to day depending on what the activity or the game is that we've given the parent for that day. But what we intend to do is allow things like the graph that we spoke about earlier or words per hour Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of other uh, information presented to parents in their smartphone. So there might be challenges like say this many words today to your child or spend this many minutes reading books to your child. And then the other thing is activity prompts of things, suggestions to parents so that it doesn't feel like talking to a houseplant. If I say talk to a newborn, (laughs) you kind of run out of steam after 20 seconds. If I say, you know what, tell this newborn about the last time you went on vacation. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you can talk for five or 10 minutes without actually much effort because you have a It's a very simple prompt, but it can make a huge difference in how much a parent chooses to engage with a child. I would always say when they started to crawl, they were sort of past the houseplant stage up until they sort of moved them around the house. (laughs) And and they were at the houseplant. I called them that. I called them the houseplant stage. And then when they started crawling, I'm like, oh, geesh, we've left that stage and now now we're moving and grooving. But, you know, for a parent who's exhausted, you know, with a baby who's got a lot of colic and that kind of thing, it does get hard during the day to talk to your child. It really does. And so I've experienced that with babies who just don't sleep and you're pooped and you're just getting through the day and I think this is great so can you set the goal smaller and just you can just depending on where what the child is the needs the age that kind of thing yeah so the idea is to calibrate the goal Mm -hmm. Uh, Fitbit has 10,000 steps I think that parenting a child because children change so much from birth to age four Mm -hmm. and one family varies so much to the next will likely calibrate the goals based on each family's expectation and Mm -hmm. and a very simple way of putting it is that Wherever, however much a parent is currently talking to their kids, mm-hmm. I'd like to start out by getting them to spend 10 more minutes a day talking to their child right. than wherever they're at and then take that approach and kind of incrementally increase their verbal engagement rather than, you know, maybe setting a goal that might be a bridge too far and then them just giving up altogether. That's fantastic. Uh, that's awesome. And then one last question. Sorry, I just, as you're talking, I get, just keep thinking, Chris, what about male versus female voices? Does it pick up on that yet? Not yet, but that's probably one of the very first things we'll be able to detect is uh, parent versus child, Mm. and then the next thing beyond that, either language detection or male versus female. And then beyond that becomes like mom versus dad, like individual male and individual child. And so, you know, it can get ever more granular as you work your way through. Again, Chris, thank you so much. I think this is, oh, I bet every speech therapist out there, this is cool. Finally, 
duh, where has this been all our lives? You know? <laughs> well, I'd love to hear from them if they, uh, I talk to parents and anybody who contacts us, they're going to they're gonna get to talk to one of us. So I, if, if somebody has a question or feedback, I'd love to hear from them. Yes. Can they give you feedback on your website? Sure. You can just email me, chris at versamy.com if you want to, if somebody, or they can go through our website, then there's a contact us form, but Fantastic. either way, just write me and I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Great. Fantastic. Great message. Great product. I'm excited for April 2016. Order your stuff today. I have. So Yes, thank you, by the way. Yeah, we're excited about it. Very excited. Bring it home. So again, thank you, Chris. The show notes are there. If you guys need to go back and refer to anything from this podcast or anything, it's there. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right. Okay. So thank you to Chris and thanks to everybody else for listening and hope you enjoyed it. I think it was some great information here and I love this product and I'm so excited about it and the possibilities and what's coming from these guys here at versame.com. It's really cool stuff. So go check out the website again, versame.com, some videos and some great information there. And you can get our show notes at theworkingtherapist.com. And you can also check out our website at www.pediatricdt.com. We've got some new information up there and tells you what's happening here with us. So thanks for listening again, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 